our family retreat. And we had a great weekend getting to know some of our families who are traveling back today. So be in prayer for them. Uh, We got to spend a lot of time talking about prayer and how we engage our kids in prayer and make that a value in our families. So it was, uh, it was great to be there, and we rushed back to be here with you, and it's good to be here this morning as well. Let's pray together as we open the story of Ruth uh, today. God, we, we give thanks this morning for your scripture, for the life that you still breathe into it through your spirit. And God, today, would you catch us in some way? Would you, would you teach us something that we need to see? Would you leave us, help, help us leave these doors today? I'm more encouraged to follow you and to see how you might fit in our stories and we might fit into yours. Uh, This morning, God, I pray you'd pour through me the gift of preaching so that Christ would be formed in our hearts. And it's the name of Jesus that we pray. And everyone said, amen. Well, uh, today we're talking about the story of Ruth. And so if you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to open uh, to that. But today I want to talk about how uh, our expectations often lead to disappointments. Unrealistic expectations I'm talking about. And for me, that started uh, by having high expectations about a certain football team called the Dallas Cowboys. I grew up uh, really enjoying football in the mid-90s, early 90s, and it was a fun time for a a Cowboys fan. But it's looking like my kids are not going to get that same enjoyment, hopefully at some point in their childhood. And even this year, right? I mean, they're three and one, and so we start to get our hopes up only to have them dashed a little bit later in the year. But we've got our hopes up. We're excited. We're going to be rooting them on, try to get finished with the sermon so we can get home to it. I know how that goes. But, uh, but there were a lot more in first service today, by the way. I don't know what that was about. Uh, but anyway, expectations. And, and one of the places that I talk about expectations most is in premarital counseling. It's probably the thing I spend my most amount of time on when I'm working with a couple that's looking to get married. Because the truth is, you don't know the dysfunction of your own family until you get married. And all of a sudden, you see things you would have never seen if another person hadn't looked closely into your life. For instance, I thought it was normal to watch golf on Sunday afternoons. I found out when I got married that was not normal. Now, Holly will sit on the couch and watch with me only because it's the best thing she can think of to fall asleep to. Uh, but I, 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 that's what I, we grew up doing, and so I thought that was normal. Same thing with football. I root for different teams because it depends who's on my fantasy football team who I root for, which can kind of mess up if you're a good fan of a team, right? And I found out when I got married, that's a little strange to play fantasy football. That's not the real world. I mean, you can fill in the blank all kinds of way in your own marriage, right, about things that you thought was normal. And I I see a lot of you elbowing each other. You know, you know what those things are. And I think it's the same way when it comes to the story of Scripture sometimes, And the story this morning is the story of Ruth, and it's a story we often think about a story of loyalty, and we'll talk about how it is a story about loyalty, but there's a lot more to this story that I want to talk about today. And I think in our lives, many of us come to this place where we've had all these expectations about the way life would go, and it doesn't seem to work out that way, does it? Like we had an expectation that we would have full and vital health all of our lives until we get to that phone call or that diagnosis that we didn't expect. Or we thought that that relationship and that marriage would last forever until we got the call that we never would have anticipated. We have these moments in our lives where we expect for things to go a certain way. We have a dream about how life will go. And many times our lives become, our hopes become dashed as we go through life and experience hardship. And I meet people who, this happens when it comes to our view of God as well. 
We think that God's a certain way and we have all these expectations we were taught growing up until certain things happen in life and we realize maybe God's not who we thought he was. And some of that can be really difficult, but some of that's the most liberating thing because we begin to realize that even though God wasn't the way we might have heard it quite how we received it growing up, that maybe he's far better than we'd ever imagined. When we meet Naomi in the story of Ruth, life is good. In fact, Naomi's name means sweet or pleasant. And that's how her life goes at the start. She had a dream about how life would go. She would get married one day. And then, as any good uh, woman in that time period would do, she would bear sons for her, her, her husband. Not just children. It had to be sons. And sure enough, this is what happens in her life. She gets married to a guy named Elimelech, and then she has two sons. And she'd planned their name from birth, you can tell, from, from when she was a child. Malon and Kilion. Great names, right? I'm sure they even had a dog named Moses or something like that, right? Life is perfect, and they're, they're walking through life, and then all of a sudden, a famine arises in the land. And if you're paying attention to Scripture at all, when you hear the word famine, all of a sudden, the lights on your dashboard ought to be blinking. Because earlier in the story, you remember the story of Joseph, don't you? Joseph gets sold in, uh, to, to Egypt, and he's uh, in Potiphar's house, and things go all wrong in his story, until a famine comes into the story of Israel. And Joseph is there at this perfect time to prepare Egypt for this season when they would need food because the famine was on its way. And it's interesting because the reconciliation of Joseph and his family happens because of a famine. See, sometimes the unexpected things in our lives are the very things that bring us back together with people we would have never expected. That's what happens in the story of Naomi. It happens a little worse and it takes a little uh, of, of a journey on this. So when, when famine comes up, you're expecting something to come up. And sure enough, in Naomi's life, it happens. Because she, they're, they're in the land of Bethlehem, a, a, a city that actually becomes pretty important later on, as we know, with the birth of Jesus. They're in Bethlehem, but they're forced to leave because of the famine. And they go to a place called Moab. And this is not Moab in Utah, which is a cool place to visit. This is enemy territory. So they're wandering into Moab, and Moab is, these are, I mean, if you look back at the story of Israel, you realize where Moab comes from, and it's not a good story. They originate in the story of Lot and his daughters, and that union ends up creating this people, Moab, who end up causing all kinds of trouble for Israel throughout. So these are great enemies of Israel. And it takes this famine to get them there. So they're on their way. They're leaving Bethlehem. And it takes something big to get them there. And they get there. And things turn south quickly for Naomi. All this life that she'd wanted was going well. In fact, her sons find uh, daughter-in-laws for her and, and get married while they're there. But quickly things make a turn. Because then her husband Elimelech dies. And then the two sons that she bore, they both die. This is within a 10-year period. Have any of you been there? Been there when, when life was so good and things were on track and then all of a sudden things took a turn for the worse and that's what happens in the story of Ruth. And before we jump forward to Ruth and that story, I, th- I want us to settle down and get a picture of Naomi's life. Because Naomi's life started out so good but it turned bad quickly. And here she was with these two daughter-in-laws. Within a two, ten year period, here she is. She's, she's in the land that she's, is not her own. She's, she's moved on. She has no husband or children. But her life went from a dr- dream to a nightmare in just a short amount of time. And some of you have gotten those calls that have turned your world upside down as well. No one wants their life to go this way. 
And when I was thinking this week about which character, which uh, modern story might connect with who Naomi is, I, want to, I started to think about a story that has gripped my heart for a long time. It's a story you're going to see uh, come up in these sermons, I guess, probably again and again. So if you haven't seen it, go see it so you'll know what I'm talking about. It's the story of Les Miserables. Story written by Victor Hugo and put to uh, musical form and, and, and made into a movie just uh, a few years ago. The character in that story that, that, that reminds me of Naomi is someone named Fontaine. Fontaine's a young mother who uh, bears a child out of wedlock. The stories and details are a bit different, but through the story, we find that Fontaine's dream for her life didn't turn out the way she'd hoped. And all of a sudden, she's caught doing things she never imagined she'd do to try to take care of a child that she's struggling to take care of. And, and this is the scene that we see as her heart's breaking as things have turned in a direction she never would have imagined. Let's roll that clip. I dreamed a dream in time gone by And hope was high and life worth living I dreamed that love would never die I dreamed that God would be forgiving Then I was young and unafraid The dreams were made used no ransom to be paid no song and song no wine untasted but the tigers come at night with their voices soft as thunder As they tear your hope apart, as they turn your dream to shame, I slept a summer by myself. days with endless wonder. He took my childhood and his stride, but he was gone when autumn came. Still I dream he'll come to me. That cannot be 
you've seen the movie, you know the power of that scene, just watching it here. And to me, this is Naomi. And we like to talk about Ruth, but I don't think we can get to the story of Ruth and understand it until we get where Naomi is, that life is not sweet like it once was. And that's what we read when we pick up in Ruth chapter 1, beginning in verse 19. So Ruth and her daughter-in-law, Uh, I'm sorry, uh, Naomi and her daughter-in-law, Ruth, are walking together. It says in verse 19, So the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women exclaimed, Can this be Naomi? Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. So I told you that Naomi means sweet or pleasant. This name Mara that she asked to call herself, this, this means bitter. It's almost as if she's not known when she walks back into the city she's grown up in. She, she's not even recognized because life has done a number on Naomi. She comes back with this foreigner who comes back with her. You ever been in this place? It's like life has, has done so much to you that you're not even recognized by those who knew you before. She decides to go back to Bethlehem, back to the life she'd known. She takes back the daughter-in-law with her, but along the way, she tries to hand them off, right? Well, maybe they'd be better off to stay where they were. Maybe they don't need to come with me, these daughter-in-laws. And so she offers, why don't you, why don't you stay? You can make a, a life for yourself. You don't have to come with me as your mother-in-law. And, and so Orpah takes her up on the chance, but, but Ruth, she stays with her. This is the loyalty part, this passage that many of us have memorized about. Where you go, I will go. Where you, what we sang earlier in, in the service. And on, on first hearing, you start to think, wow, uh, that's so generous of Naomi to offer that they can go and stay in Moab when she goes back to Bethlehem, right? What, a, what an offering, right? I mean, they can start their lives over. That's very thoughtful of Naomi. But I think there's a part of this where Naomi knows that to go back with two Moabite women whom the sons weren't supposed to marry because they were foreigners who would lead them away to worship other gods. These weren't blessings to Naomi. These were liabilities. And yet Ruth stays with her through this. And this is what we read as we read on in, in, in Ruth 1, verse 16 and 17. But Ruth replied when she asked her, Don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. Now you'll often hear this verse quoted at weddings. Some of you may have chosen this verse to be read at yours. It's a passage about loyalty, but this is a little different than uh, most of the wedding ceremonies I hear, right? In fact, uh, I, I, was, I, I had a friend who decided he was going to get this engraved on his wife's wedding ring as a reminder about the commitment he was making. And so he, he, he told the engraver, I want you to put, instead of Ruth 1, 16 and 17, he made the mistake of Ruth 2, 16 and 17. It says there, even pull out some stalks. 
for her from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up. And don't rebuke her. So Ruth gleaned in the field until evening. Then she threshed the barley she had gathered and it amounted to about an ephah. That's a far different message, right? So before you get that tattoo, make sure you know what it says, okay? Some things are permanent. But as I hear it in wedding ceremonies, what I usually see is, you know, a, a, a husband and a bride saying this to one another. And that's one way to do this is for husband and wife. That's a great message of loyalty. But that's not what this passage is, right? This is the mother, or this is the daughter-in-law turning then to the mother-in-law and saying, where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people are going to be my people and your God, my God. And if death even separates you from me, it'll be, it'll be too much. This is a far different from where we often think about loyalty. This is loyalty in a whole other context. This is the story of Ruth and this is the story of Naomi. So Ruth is committing to a huge thing here. She's leaving her land to go to enemy territory in Israel. And as she wanders into the land, she happens to know about an Israelite custom, a a law from the Torah, which told them, at the outskirts of your land, always leave uh, some food to be picked at the outside of your, your territory. That way, when the foreigners come in, they can partake of that. And that's what Ruth knows about. I'm sure Naomi let her in on this. So she goes into a field, and she just happens to go into a field of a guy named Boaz, who comes from the clan of, of all people, Elimelech. Elimelech, who was Naomi's husband. She wanders into this field, and, and Boaz is careful through this story to make sure she knows, I'm not going to let anyone harm you. And, and, and from our reading, that's a little strange. Why would anyone harm this woman? But again, this is an enemy Moabite. And women aren't protected in that era. And so for Boaz to do this and to share his protection over her is a huge thing. So Ruth just happens to pick up grain in this field and just happens to find this man of standing. And Boaz does everything he can to protect her and actually wants to marry her later on in the book. But there's one problem. There's a kinsman redeemer. There's a person in the family who's closer to Ruth who has the first shot at claiming Naomi and Ruth. And so he goes to this person and says, would you like to claim Naomi's land? And he says, more land? That sounds great. He says, there's one problem. Along with that land comes Ruth. And he makes sure to say, Ruth the Moabite. And he says, okay, I don't want any part of that. See, Ruth is just an expendable in this land. But Boaz takes her on, takes her in, and, and, and ends up marrying her. It's a story about loyalty. It's a story that's such a great story. But there's more to this story than what we heard growing up. And that's what this series is all about. This is about loyalty, yes, but it's about far more than that. So I want to ask a couple questions that I want us to consider right now. First, why was the book of Ruth included in the Bible? I mean, just think about this, because the stories that come before are the stories about Israel entering into the promised land. You've got Joshua and Judges, stories about battles and stories about Israel entering into the land. But this story is far different, isn't it? A story about an insignificant family that finds itself in, in this land. What significance does this have? There's no miracles in this story, really. There's no, at least, you know, miracles like we've read in the passages before about a Red Sea crossing or plagues or, or, or a burning bush. None of that finds itself in this story. This seems to be different literature than what we've been reading all along. But here we find, and, and, and here's this story in there. So that's one question to dwell on. But, but number two, why did Boaz pay so much attention? Why did he care so much for Ruth? Because there's so many in that land who aren't caring for, who don't care all that much. See, no one else wants to redeem Ruth because, as I've said before, Ruth is a liability. 
Ruth is a foreigner. Ruth is someone that you wouldn't care for. Ruth's not one you would marry because God had commanded against it. But she just happens to find Boaz's field. And this is what we see Ruth say to Boaz. In Ruth chapter 2, verse 10, these are telling words. It says, at, at this she bowed down with her face to the ground and she asked him, Why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? Boaz replied, I've been told all about what you've done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. How you left your father and mother in your homeland and came to live with a people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you've done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you've come to take refuge. So she notices this difference. He's paying more attention. And maybe it's just that she's beautiful and he he desires her in some way. But I think there's more to the story than that. And the more to the story, and my theory about all this comes from a passage at the very end of the book that you probably skip as you're finishing the book and checking that one off the list of your Bible reading for the year. It's Ruth chapter 4. It's at the end, verse 18 and following. Just a genealogy that comes there. I think it answers both these questions about why would this book show up in here and, 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 and why would Boaz notice Ruth. Verse 18. This then is the family line of Perez. Perez was the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Amenadab. Amenadab, the father of Nashon. Nashon, the father of Salmon. Salmon, the father of Boaz. Boaz, the father of Obed. Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of David. Again, just names to us, most of them, right? But if you look closely at that story, you begin to realize that this character, David, who will talk about his uncut story later in the series, King David comes from this line from Ruth, this foreigner, which is significant. The great-grandfather of David is Boaz. The great-grandmother of David is Ruth. So that kind of tells us why this book might be in the story. But again, why would he pay so much attention? Well, flip over in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 1. It's a similar genealogy, a few more details added in. But Matthew chapter 1, we see the same genealogy at work. Let's start reading in verse 5. Again, probably a book you've read, Matthew, and probably you, you sped through this, but if you pay some close attention to these characters, you find something here. It says there's Salmon, we heard about him earlier, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab, and Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth, Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. Did you notice that detail that's added in here that wasn't in the story before? Well, Ruth is mentioned, which is rare in a story like this. But did you notice the other woman who's mentioned? It's Rahab. Rahab, the mother of Boaz. And all of a sudden, this story takes on a new life. Because if you're paying attention to the story in Jericho, you remember the story of the walls falling down? The spies go into the land... And the spies come upon this woman of ill repute named Rahab. And, and Rahab is their salvation. She's the one who hides them and she sends them out the door. They, they get all the information they need. She's actually the one who emboldens them to take the city because they're not as faithful as she is when she's heard what has happened at the Red Sea crossing and all of the Jericho people are afraid of. So she lets them go with the promise that they'll save Rahab and her family. And so they go, and sure enough, as the walls come down, they save Rahab. And, and Rahab later has a baby boy, and his name is Boaz. I have to imagine this foreigner to Israel who was saved through this journey that God had used. I have to imagine that as she's holding baby Boaz in her arms, there has to be some stories told about being the outsider, the foreigner, and And that the people of Israel, the people of God, had actually saved her. And he wouldn't be here if it wasn't for 
people receiving the outsider. And so when we come to the story in Ruth, it's not just the beauty of Ruth that attracts Boaz. I just have to imagine that his family line and his ancestry and his mom's story and testimony about her life, that all of a sudden he has eyes to see people that no one else in the story can see. Which makes me think about all the family lines and lineages and ancestries in this room. About the stories that you tend to kind of keep hidden in the closet because they're embarrassing moments about your past, maybe in your life, or a mother or father or a grandparent. But what I want to say is those stories may be the very way that God gives us eyes to see people that we wouldn't see otherwise. I just wonder about those stories that have been locked away. That story about your uncle or, or a great aunt that no one wanted to talk about. But I wonder if we would tell those stories, if they'd be the very stories that God would peek out through the box and he would change the narrative of the family entirely. So I'm just guessing, guessing that Ruth wouldn't find her way into the story if it wouldn't have been for the pain that had happened generations before. And I begin to wonder in our own stories, if there's things we keep secret and quiet, just like Sharon shared last week, that if we would open these stories up and see that maybe through these stories about our past, that God may be unlocking some stories about our future, that even with a story like Rahab's and Ruth, it's full of scandal in its background, that God can bring Jesus out of it. I think there's some of us today that need Jesus brought out of our stories. Am I right? We want to change the generational stories that we've had from the past. And we want a different story told for our kids and our grandkids. And we do anything to see it done. But it may be actually going back to the painful moments and telling those stories that our kids begin to have a lens to see people. What would it be like for us as a church to have eyes to see the outsider like Israel did, like Boaz did? To realize that God's always worked through the outsider. In fact, he's always called us back more faithfully to our story through these people on the outside who see things we can't see. I'm just imagining people that are not insiders like us on a Sunday morning, but they're outside this building on golf courses and on little league fields all throughout our city, and they're just going about life, and it may be that they will see things if we'd have eyes to see them and open us up to the story of God in ways we could never imagine otherwise. This is how God's worked in my life. And I'm excited to see the ways that this church is going to reach into our community and all of a sudden be reminded of the gospel in ways we couldn't tell it to ourselves. So maybe this is for the next generation. Maybe God's called you to tell these stories so that you'll be remembered as the grandfather of Rachel down the line or the grandfather of Jessica or or someone down the line that'll tell your story and say, "Uh, we don't have to remember all the details that were so bad in the past. None of that comes up in Matthew 1. All that's remembered is Rahab, who's this hero. All that's remembered is Ruth, who shows up. But there was a lot of pain to get to this place where Jesus comes. But maybe it's not our kids and our grandkids. Maybe it's our own story. Maybe there's still hope. Maybe those kids that have wandered off and haven't found their way to faith, maybe there's another chapter to be written. That's my prayer. Is there's still hope for all of us. That there were chapters in our story where we needed others to see us because we couldn't find our way ourselves. And that's what this community's about. And that's why I love this uncut story of Ruth. It's a story about loyalty, yes. And we need more stories about loyalty in our marriages, in our relationships, in our churches. We need those stories. And I'm grateful for those of you who've been married for 40 and 50 and 60 years that show us that story. But this is also a story about seeing the outsider because of a pain in our past. 
So wherever you find yourself today, I hope you find yourself in the story of Ruth and are more hopeful leaving today. The story God wants to weave to tell Jesus might just include you and that uncle you never wanted anyone to tell about. Let's pray together as we close our time. God, I thank you so much for the story of Ruth. Yes, it's a story about Naomi, whose life took a bitter turn and then all of a sudden made a turn back to Bethlehem. And we don't know how it all turned out. We just know that you brought David and Jesus through that line. So some of us may not see the fruit of this change in our lives. It may be generations in the future, God, that get to see the repentance in our hearts and the change in our lives that gets worked out in our kids and grandkids. And if that's the way it is, God, may it be glory to your name. But some of us this morning are outsiders. We don't feel like we're inside. We feel like our sin counts us out. And and, and we need to hear the story of Ruth this morning. A story about loyalty, yes, but it's also a story about being seen and being welcomed even as an outsider. And so God, may none who enter these doors feel as if they're outsiders, but may they help us see you more clearly. And for those that come down the line from us, for our kids, for our grandkids, for those who don't find themselves in a place of faith, we pray that you would draw them towards you today. That these chapters and these stories, there'd be more to write, God, and we'd get to see stories of homecoming and salvation. And that our line would get to be told in so many great new ways in the days to come. We thank you for this hope in this story. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. My blessing on you today is that you may love God, that you may love people, and that you may serve others. Go in peace. You're dismissed.